This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, it's been a, a long time since we've done sports radio together. Uh, so much so that I almost forgot the intro. And um, <laughs> we had a we had a really good conversation about moving a kid into Christian college off the air. So uh, I got to get I got to get back a little bit into my sports radio guy persona. Yeah, but we gotta, um, yeah, we have to we have to back off of meaningful things and talk about trite things. Yes, exactly. We have to back off of like, yeah, kind of quiet, thoughtful, contemplative, meaningful things and uh, and go back into loud, hot, takey sports radio personas. But um, we've got a lot to talk about here, Pipe, um, including I want to I want to start at the top with something that a listener brought to our attention. Uh, you texted last night and said a listener wanted to know our thoughts on the Little League World Series. Um and my thought is, I don't know that I have any thoughts on it in that here's what, here's what I think about it. And I want to hear you on it. I know that it's happening. I know when it's happening roughly because it always kind of dominates ESPN's August programming, which I've, I've basically, I don't want to say gotten a divorce from ESPN, but I, I, I never watch ESPN except to watch like a live sport that I want to see. Right. Um, but I see all the promos for the Little League World Series and on the app there's all those little like kind of bland color boxes with uh the the initials for each team. So I know that it's happening and I know that for some people it's like apex mountain of charm and good old kind of American vibes. Um but having had kids who have played youth sports, it was usually just kind of a hellscape of like insane parents and stupidity. So I know that beneath that veneer of, of, you know, good old sweet Americana, there is probably a burbling, you know, mass of parents that you wouldn't want to spend any time around. So I guess that's my take on the little league world series. Where are you at on it? Um, yeah, I, I pay very little attention to it. I, I used to like it a lot more and I think Mm -hmm. I'm going to run the risk of just sounding like a grumpy old man here, but here we are. Um, you used it as you used the phrase apex of charm. I feel like that's mm-hmm. the problem with it. It used to actually be charming because it was like, man, these are the teams that won in their yeah. states and their regions and whatever, and they got here to this little town in Pennsylvania, I think. And now it's it's curated charm, you know, yeah. where ESPN is constantly like, oh, isn't this just a heartwarming story that Bubba, right. the chubby first baseman, who's here to hit dingers <laughs> and whatever? And you're like, everything right. is memeable. Everything is charming. Yeah. It feels like having you know. Pleasantville shoved down your throat and right and it you know and then they like zoom in on the kids who are weeping after losing a game and they're like oh it's so <laughs> heartbreaking let's exploit their grief and I don't yeah. know I I'm kind of the, the coverage of it I think makes me hate it more watching here's the thing if I'm if I'm like walking the dog or whatever and I'm near a baseball game of like eight-year-olds yeah. or 15-year-olds or whatever like I will yeah. inevitably stop and watch for some for pitches sure. or an inning or whatever because yeah. I love baseball yeah. Uh, I hate having baseball curated for me to tell me what is intriguing and what is charming and what are the storylines. I hate storylines. Storylines are oh, not interesting no. to me. I know. 
You know, it's the same reason I don't. Just... Same, it's the same reason the Olympics get on my nerves when they're like, "Isn't this an amazing oh, yeah. storyline?" I mean, you know what's amazing? World records being broken. That's cool. that's true. I like watching fast people be fast. Yeah, I want to see a guy running super fast. You know, um, I don't need to know the whole backstory. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Pipe. And isn't this like more a conversation, maybe just about media overreach in general? Like, I think everything is overcovered, overproduced, overpackaged, foisted upon us in a way that like um assumes a level of interest that isn't there and then also assault, insults our intelligence at the same time, you know. Um and, and again, at the risk of me sounding like the grumpy old man now. Like I think there was a minimalist kind of grace about sports media coverage in let's say like the 60s, they were still figuring it out. But once we hit like the mid 70s through the mid 80s, it was the right it was the right amount of coverage and the right type of coverage. Um, and I, I I realize I'm just idealizing my childhood in that statement, which is kind of what I do for a living, probably. But uh, I don't know. It, it's it's crass now. It seems gross. Well, it's the. Um, it's the downside of no breathing space. Like there's no, yeah. so what used to be charming in sports was things that were discovered, things that were like yeah. they developed over time or even like take baseball, yeah. for example. You know, the reason Fenway Park was kind of always the coolest was because it was the oddity. You know, it's got the yeah. green monster. It's kind of got this, what did they call that? Uh, you know, the real short uh, pole in, in right field. Um mm-hmm the pesky pole, all this stuff. And you're like, because they just wedged it into a neighborhood. It's been there for a hundred years. And then they start building ballparks in like wide open expanses and they're still making them quirky. And they're like, oh, it's got the small town, inner city charm. And you're like, it's in a field of parking lots and you just, you're making it quirky. This is, so the the forced charm, instead of letting things kind of be charming is 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 uh, kind of exhausting. And so I've honestly gotten to the point where I care nothing about what happens off the field. Yeah. I care nothing about the coverage. I, yeah. I mute almost every sporting event I watch because the talking heads <laughs> yes. fill up every spare moment. Yes. And uh and I'm just like I'm I'm I just want to watch the game. I want to watch great yeah. athletes do great things and be excited about that and what yeah. you know who they broke up with or what funny thing they tweeted like the showing of yeah. other athletes tweets about something oh. during a game couldn't care oh, less if I, i'm on twitter i'll see it if not oh, whatever so i know i'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up game yeah like the showing of right the showing of twitter on the screen it's like no no they don't get it i go to the screen to escape all of that stuff you know what i mean like um yeah sports has been besmirched by the the creep the the intrusion of the toilet that is social media yeah it's a mess man it and, really and is and i like social media but i yeah. i the, the the advantage to social media is that i can do it on my terms that's you know? right who am yeah. i following what lists have i curated i don't yep. want to see what you know, uh, Kevin Durant says about Steph Curry's performance in the playoffs. I just want to watch <laughs> Steph Curry hit threes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think too, like in the, in the older days, there was a delightfulness of like discovery. I, like I remember, and this is a weird story. I don't know why I'm thinking about this right now, but I remember being a, a very small child, probably 
seven or eight years old and I was being as is the, the, the purview of the only child, I was being dragged somewhere by my parents. Like they had gone to visit somebody and it was like the middle of the day on a Saturday. And the person was like, to me, they were like, Hey, you can watch some TV, you know? So I flipped on the TV. There were like four channels, but the NBA finals was on one of them because the finals used to get like crappy time slots in the eighties. So it was like two o'clock on a Saturday and the Celtics and the Lakers were playing in Boston, like on the parquet floor. And it was like, you know, Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish and, and Bird and Magic. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I remember being kind of won over by it and sort of enraptured by it. And it was the joy of stumbling upon something that was awesome. And I think as a kid my capacity for caring was much larger in that whatever season it was, I was all in on that season. Like if it was baseball, I was, you know, flipping through the the Ken Griffey baseball cards and hanging oh, yeah. posters and, and same thing for basketball and football. But, but now, and maybe this is a function of just having kids who are a certain age or having parents that are getting older or whatever. Like my bandwidth for caring about anything in sports is so narrow. It's like, I can think about, the NFL, a little bit of college football, the CFL, my fantasy team, the Mariners, and that's it. Uh, well, yeah, and just and that's probably the, too much. The number of things you have to give attention to, you know, you have like yeah. as a kid, you have no responsibilities, and so like every spare moment can be putting yourself like I'm going to be a professional athlete. I'm watching sports. I'm reading right. articles. I'm memorizing the stats on cards, and now yeah. it's like. I, baseball, I still have – my parents dropped off my collection of baseball and football cards. Nice. It's just a collection of nostalgia. Like I don't have time to look at those. I still am glad yeah. I own them, but I don't know what I'm going to do with them. And, yeah. uh, you know, so there's there's just no – there's no margin for total passion. And when you find an adult who's so passionate about sports, you kind of look at them like they're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of like, what are you – what are you letting slide in your life so that you can be this passionate yeah. about sports? I was going to say, uh, I feel like maybe your marriage is suffering because you know the stats of, you know, the University of Alabama's third string running back or something. Like, you know, his recruiting yeah. profile. Like, I feel like maybe that's not healthy. Yeah. I mean, there's something a little bit juvenile about a middle-aged man, like, knowing that much about sports. And I do get the irony of being a middle-aged man talking on a podcast about <laughs> sports. Um, which is what we're going to do today, Pipe. So I've, I have no doubt that we disappointed that listener who wanted to hear our takes on the Little League World Series. And Either probably that or we affirmed his bias completely. That's true. I hope it's that. Um, maybe, maybe he can let us know if we disappointed him or affirmed his bias. But uh, yeah, I think part of it, last thing on the Little League World Series, like I'm here for stories about the chubby first baseman like overcoming his fears and hitting a dinger to win the, you know, the little league world series or whatever. But knowing that like that chubby first baseman's dad manages a hedge fund and pays $40,000 a year for like boutique hitting instruction kind of takes the shine off of it. You know what I mean? I mean, these aren't kids like throwing the ball around in the backyard anymore. This is a kid who's been like yeah, specializing in this sport since he was in diapers. Yeah, the when when the chubby kid has a personal chef to manage his weight, you know, I I've I I no <laughs> longer find it charming. You know. Yeah. I, I much prefer the 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 twinkie mashing, you know, bike riding sandlot playing kid who 
who yeah. is actually an interesting story. Basically, I like Ham Ham Porter. That's my. I know, who, dude. That, yeah, yeah give me the kid who like crushes Twinkies in the yeah. dugout and the and then you know steps into the batter's box to mash a home run. I'm I'm here for that kid. But um, but yeah, no, that's that's good, Pipe. Um, so let's let's talk a little NFL, Piper. Yes. Um, it's my favorite time of the year, which is ramp up to the NFL season. Um, by way of background for the listeners, in case they're new to the program, um, you started a fantasy league. How many years ago was that? I was trying to remember how long we've been. Three or this. four. At least three years. I think yeah. this might be our fourth season. I think so. So we started a fantasy league, or you did rather, for the purposes of a getting me back into fantasy football because I had had like a decade long hiatus, and then b kind of like it being a, a a mill for content that we could use on on this program, this spinoff show, Happy Rant Sports. So um, I want to talk about keepers because this is a like a super flex keeper league. So it's auction style. Big rosters, two quarterbacks, and we get to keep up to five guys. Now, my keeper philosophy is always, always keep five guys. Like, I always have five guys on my roster that I want to keep enough to keep all of them. But I ran into my buddy, Kevin Vale. Shout out Kevin Vale, who's in the league and is also a listener. And he only kept like two guys. Um, so, Pipe, I want to know your keeper philosophy and the guys that you kept this year. Yeah, so our league, you know, we do an auction. So every player has a dollar value. If you keep them, their value goes up year over year. So it gets more expensive to keep guys. That's just for the listener's context. So yeah. it's all value for me. Um, yeah. And so I usually keep five because I look at it and I go, if I can guarantee five roster spots at dollar amounts that I think are below what they would go for in the auction. Yeah. I, I think I came out ahead. So uh, sure. I kept, for example... Um, Josh Allen, A.J. Brown, J.K. Dobbins, Mike Davis, and C.D. Lamb. So good players. Josh yeah. Allen's probably top five at his position. A.J. Brown's top 10. Dobbins is probably top 20, 15. Yeah. Mike, Mike Davis, Davis is just going to get all the carries. Yeah, Mike so. Davis is – he might be nothing. He might play six games and then get replaced, or he might be yeah. kind of the workhorse guy for Atlanta. And C.D. Lamb yeah. could be a top 10 receiver. He's kind of in that 10 to 20 range. But the yeah. thing is, all of them were pretty significantly under, um, undervalued, underpriced. So yeah. yeah, yeah, and like, whereas I, you know, I look at some of the keepers that other guys kept. So, like one guy kept Nick Chubb at thirty four dollars. It's a two hundred dollar budget. Yeah, that's expensive. But like Nick Chubb would probably go for forty five or fifty. So yeah. Austin yeah. Eckler kept at thirty one. He's probably a thirty five to forty dollar running back. So you look at it; mm -hmm. it's all value to me. Like. Yeah, this gives me money then to go in and try to get a number one running back, etc. I don't yeah. like, I don't like only keeping two because it means that I am at the whim of who everybody else keeps, and yeah. if somebody wants to way overbid for a guy that I really want, I yeah. you know I don't have the like I don't have any positional sort of stability. Yeah, no, that's that's good, and also I think the. One of the appeals of the dynasty or keeper league format is kind of the like draft and develop ethos. Yep. Like you want to, you want to be drafting guys and keeping the talent pool deep enough so that you do, you do have some like value choices um, in terms of who you're keeping from year to year. This was a year that I, I probably am overpaying for a couple of my keepers. 
I, in fact, I know that I am. And I, I was actually tempted to overpay for more of them, but I kept Justin Herbert at $6. Um, the Yahoo price tag on him was 13. So I got him under market. So here's uh, another thing that listeners need to know though. We, it's a two quarterback league. And so yeah, like yeah. what, what Yahoo says is 13 is based on a one starter league. So quarterbacks are more flexible. You have That's to have right. at least one really good quarterback in our league or you're just hosed yeah. and you, you yeah. pretty, you need two functional ones really. Dude, I almost like I was toying with keeping three quarterbacks. Um, because I had three guys that I was intrigued enough by to want to keep them. I didn't end up doing that. So I kept, I kept Herbert at $6. I overpaid a little bit for Lamar. Um, but having Lamar is like having a quarterback and a running back in your lineup. So, uh, Lamar's Yahoo price tag was 23. I paid 31 to keep him. Uh, I'm, I'm rooting for a Lamar bounce back year. And I just like having him. He's a fun, he's a fun guy to have in fantasy. I mean, a Lamar bounce back year, sure, but he still ran for a thousand yards and what, like nine touchdowns last year? Like he, exactly. he probably would have been the number like twelve running back. Yeah. Lamar Lamar is gonna bring like Mike Davis value just as a runner. Um, which is which is intriguing, and that's a guy that you want to have around. So Herbert and Lamar are my keepers at quarterback. Receiver wise, I don't know how this happened, but I snagged Stefan Diggs last year for next to nothing. Do you want to know how uh, it happened? Yeah. Everybody thought Josh Allen sucked. So you That's remember right, that dude. trade. People like Diggs had yeah. never been, he'd always been good, not great with the Vikings. Right. A little bit injury prone. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen had been, was everybody was like, oh, this is a, like when they made that trade, people were like, have fun getting the ball thrown 11 yards over your head, Stefan Diggs. That was sort of Dude, the- Josh Allen was like six bad games away from being Mitch Trubisky. Like that's yeah. how in the precipice it was for him. And then, of course, he put together. So yeah, you got, you got Diggs for like, what, six, seven bucks in the draft last year yeah. uh, or in the auction. And, mm-hmm. and it was like, fine, congratulations, you got a fourth receiver. And exactly. instead, he was probably the best him or Tyree kill. They were the best receivers in the league last year. So now you have a number, a top five receiver in the league at $13, which is an absolute steal. Yeah, no, I know it. The guy that I was tempted to overpay for at receiver who I didn't was Deandre Hopkins. Um, The price tag on him was 46 bucks, which would have taken a huge chunk out of my budget. There's something, there's something I don't, quite like about that team um arizona yeah probably the fact I mean, that their offense stinks and he's the like, that, he yeah. he and and kyler murray are the only two guys you want on that entire team i know dude like that team to me has an insanely high ceiling in terms of being fun and likable but also by week six it could have all unraveled you know what i mean so yeah. like the the floor is really low and if it unravels I think DeAndre Hopkins comes up with like a fake hamstring pull and doesn't play the second half of the season, and then I'm screwed. Well, here's the other uh, thing: like, you never want to overpay for a keeper because if they go back in the auction, like you know you're putting them back in, you can get them it. at the same money or slightly yeah. less. So my guess is you could get him for thirty eight dollars in the auction if you really like That's him, it. and you'll save eight yeah. bucks on it. Yeah, I know it. So I, I let him go back into the auction. The other receiver that I kept for eight bucks. And his Yahoo price tag was eight bucks. Was Jerry Judy, um, crappy quarterback situation. 
but super intriguing guy, super toolsy guy. Um, had an interesting season last year in which if you want to buy the narrative that he was victimized by bad quarterbacking and he's really like a great player ready to break out, you could buy that. And I think I'm buying it. Um, and for eight bucks, I can afford to be wrong. So uh, they, Jerry Judy. They had maybe, I don't know if it was the worst, but it was probably a bottom three quarterback season collectively as a team last year. Because they had that one game where all their guys were either injured or out with COVID. So they started like a fourth string wide receiver and he completed yeah. one pass the whole game. Like exactly. If they just have a competent backup, all of a sudden there's just there's probably a hundred and fifty more oppor not not because of that game, just like all the games, hundred and fifty sure. more opportunities for receivers to catch a ball. And like they yeah. just had trash at quarterbacks. So Yeah, dude. They have, so they have Drew Locke and Bridgewater this year, who are neither of whom are good, but mm -hmm. if they're both healthy, it, they're they're NFL quarterbacks. So yeah, it very much raises the floor. Pipe, I actually want to I want to take a little departure from keepers. We'll get back into it. But I want to ask this question. Who is this year's Josh Allen from a quarterback standpoint? I.e. the guy who we're heading into the season thinking that he's crappy or a lost cause or washed or whatever, but who's going to put together a really ascendant, really interesting season that's going to resurrect his career. And I'm I'm thinking Drew Locke might be in that conversation. Um in the here's the funny thing about Drew Locke. I've never been a huge Drew Locke guy, but he's got a really interesting receiving core. Uh the coaching staff fixed their offensive line. They drafted a really interesting running back who's going to make Melvin Gordon redundant. Um and and Drew Locke He's toolsy circa like, uh, I don't know, 215, 2015 and before. Like mm -hmm. Drew Locke was what we used to think of as toolsy, right? Like huge arm, can move around in the pocket a little bit, um, you know, threw it a whole bunch in college, whatever. I mean, now toolsy means you've got to run a 4-4 in addition to all that other stuff. Um, I don't know. I think Drew Locke could be this year's Josh Allen if things break right. Well, I mean, Your yeah, thoughts. I don't think anybody's going to be this year's Josh Allen just because that was that was anomalous. Like going from sure. the least accurate quarterback to one of the best deep ball accuracy quarterbacks, going from can't, you know, c couldn't master the offense to to clicking on all cylinders. Yeah. I saw a really interesting stat about Locke though. He was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league on every non-play action pass. Mm -hmm. And his play action stats were off the charts good. Like, you yeah. know, top, top quarter of the league type of thing. But they ran play action fewer than almost every other team. Yeah. Fewer times. And so basically, if they just, if they do like what the Vikings do, which is run play action constantly. Yeah. Everything is based off of that. Yeah. Drew Locke could, could put together like a, a statistical Kirk Cousins season. So that's, yeah. you know, you're talking 30 touchdowns. 12 interceptions, 4,000 sure. plus yards and a pretty good completion percentage. Cause it's a super structured offense. And, right. and on it like that, that wouldn't surprise me. That's what people thought he was going to do last year, but the, I think they just yeah. ran a bad offense last year and then there was injuries. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, he could do that. Honestly, I think the, I think the guy who could do the Josh Allen thing is Kyler Murray where yeah. Murray has been, he's been, he's been injured some, he's been a statistically good player, but not like, 
Yeah. No, nobody looks at him and goes, that's the guy I want to lead a game winning drive for my team. Yeah. If, if, uh, what is their coach's name? Texas Tech. Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury, which is a great name. Not, unfortunately not a great coach. Um, if Kingsbury puts together a more creative offense, something that, that isn't gimmicky college garbage, um, I think Murray could be that guy. Like all of a sudden you go, Oh, Oh, that's why he was, that's why he was that pick. Yeah, no, I know you watch, you watch Kyler and he's a really fun watch, you know, even when like the offense isn't hitting on all cylinders and even when he's not playing especially well, he's just like a really freaky fun guy to watch. He can go in any direction, like zero to 60 real quick. Um, Yeah, I think that's a team that just needs to kind of find its identity and footing a little bit offensively and figure out who it is. And I really hope that happens because uh i like cliff and i like their roster and i like their team and and just big picture football is more fun when all the quarterbacks are playing well yeah watching football with bad quarterback play is like watching baseball when a pitcher can't throw strikes it gets just torturous and so like i want to see arizona put together a structured offense where kyler can thrive because that would be so much fun you know same thing, like yeah. watching like how how Russell Wilson was developed over time, and how how um like how Jared Goff was put in a position to thrive for a few years. Like they're not, yeah, you know, they, there's just you see that happen. You go, that's so much fun, and then and then yeah. these guys kind of you know you find out that Goff isn't good. It was a pure structure, whereas like Russell <laughs> yeah. Wilson has overcome multiple structures and still been good. And I think Kyler can do that. It's just yeah, he, I really think Kingsbury has put him in a position to fail so far. Dude, here's my dream. Here's my like football dork uh, offensive scheme dream for Arizona's roster. I want to see them run like the mid 80s Houston Gamblers, like Jim Kelly, USFL run and shoot. So Kyler under center, he's taken like a three or four step, like half roll to either side every play. Um, There's one back. Wide splits on the offensive line. You've got Rondale Moore in the slot. Maybe Andy Isabella in the other slot. Um, DeAndre Hopkins and AJ Green on the outside. And it's just this sort of... Um, it, it. The run and shoot was like jazz. Because everything was everything was an option route. Um, so you've, you've got to have... Like in jazz, you've got to have people who are really good at playing together and really good at being on the same page. Um a good run and shoot offense like had lots of potential for like inside run game play action off of it. I mean, it was a really fascinating offense that I think would play really well to Kyler's strengths and be really a fun watch. Um, I don't know why. Can, I don't know why nobody can a five nine do- can a five nine quarterback play under center consistently. I think so because that that offense was all predicated on like getting the quarterback on the move every play. So it was like a moving pocket, yeah. you know, to use a cliche that, that people have used a lot. Um, I think it would work actually. Um, we'll never know because I think, I think there's so much stealing of scheme going on now. Every offense is, and, and again, I'll never know this because I don't sit in those meeting rooms, but I think almost every NFL offense is multiple to a fault. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everything's so available. 
and everybody crushes so much film. It's like you're you're constantly grabbing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. With with, with the with, exception of like the Kubiak system, yeah, where they, yeah. I mean, they they ne- they almost never run three receivers. It's always two receivers, one tight end, two running backs. Um, maybe they go two tight ends, one running back, and yeah. everything is run off like play action and the like the stretch running game, kind of that zone blocking yeah. scheme, and it's just like clockwork. And it's yeah. it's frustratingly not creative, but also yeah. it, it's always effective. If not explosive, yeah. it's at least effective. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, the concepts that are at play in that offense, they 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 just follow. In the sense that, like, if I'm spreading my defense out laterally to stop the wide zone, that means, like, a running back with good vision can stick his foot in the ground and, like, bang it or bend it back inside, and I'm going to be vulnerable there. You know, conversely, if if I'm allocating assets into the box to stop the same thing, then I'm going to be vulnerable to stuff over the top. I mean, it just, I mean, it works. Um, and if teams commit to it, you know, typically they're, they're successful if they have the right guys to run it. Um, pipe, have, is there anybody, I have one ahead. other thought on a quarterback who could have that sort of jump up season. Cause I was trying to think, yeah. cause what Josh Allen did was go from a guy who, like you said, was six games away from, you know, being replaced to yeah. being, you know, an MVP candidate. And yeah. I, I, there's not a lot of bad quarterbacks in the league right now. Like Houston has yeah. a bad quarterback situation, but that's because of sure. Deshaun's legal issues. There's right. a bunch of rookie quarterbacks, so we don't know if they're good or not yet. And then there's a bunch of like yeah. we know who these guys are types of quarterbacks. Yeah. I think the other option is Tua. Yeah, because that's a fun Tua one, had dude. a rough rookie season, but also they had a yeah. they had a coordinator there who was there for Ryan Fitzpatrick. They replaced yeah. him. They got him. Uh, you know, a, a highly. You know, they brought in multiple really good receivers. Yeah. And he's uh, apparently he looks great in camp, whatever that means. Yeah. But I always yeah. liked Tua. I thought Tua was going to be I thought Tua was going to be really good. I said he was going to be better than Joe Burrow coming out. And uh yeah. you know, once he got healthy and I don't know that I still hold to that, but I think it's a possibility because I think he has that he th- yeah. I mean he just throws such a pretty pass and apparently yeah. is a really good processor good at reading the defense etc so yeah. he could be that guy who all of a sudden is like Tua went from we don't even know if this guy should have been a top five pick to pro bowl <laughs> yeah and awesome roster there too like really fun roster the big question mark on on that offense is like is the offensive line going to come together and i think yeah. if it if it stays disastrous obviously that that hinders Tua's development but Dude, the funny thing about Tua for me, and I was I was thinking about Tua with this question a lot too, and I agree with you. I think it's all about narrative. I mean, in a season where Justin Herbert doesn't exist, I think we're talking about Tua's rookie year in completely different terms. You know, we there there's a universe in which you could spin the narrative around Tua's rookie year and go, he led the team to wins, he managed the game really well, he didn't make a lot of huge mistakes. We're bullish on Tua. Yeah. Everybody gobble up your Tua stock, you know, but instead it was Justin Herbert hits the scene like a comet, you know, with his floppy hair and his kind of like surfer boy good looks and he's lighting up the West Coast and he puts up this like monster statistical year for a team that's really crappy. 
you know, people forget that the Chargers were so bad that their coach got fired and they weren't good. But I, I think there's a there's kind of an alternate universe in which we're really positive about the Tua thing. And um I, I'm with you. I think that's a good pick for well, like yeah, a guy you, that could you clearly have a longer memory than most people because it used to be that rookie quarterbacks were expected to either not play or to stink. And to struggle we have gotten to the Absolutely. point where we expect rookie quarterbacks to be adequate and then yeah. like in their second and third year become great. So if yeah. they struggle, it's like, oh, bust. He's done. He's, yeah. he's never going to be anything. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened with Tua. He had like rookie struggles. Plus he was coming off of a leg that was like borderline, you know, almost amputated. And so, yeah, yeah we just, he didn't have, he didn't have the grace of like, a, you know, a, a learning curve. Plus there was no off season. Plus there was no training camp. So yeah, yeah, I I just wouldn't be shocked at all if all of a sudden he comes out and puts up like he's completing seventy percent of his passes. He's you know so he's like he's like you know twenty six out of thirty for yeah. you know three hundred twelve yards and two touchdowns every week. Just just a yeah. machine. No, I know it, and that would be fun to see. Um, I would I would be excited to see that. And listeners, uh, I know that twenty six out of thirty is not seventy percent. I just that was I I I was saying overall. So don't correct yeah, my yeah, math. Yeah, yeah. Don't well actually me nerds. Uh, you're you're definitely going to get well actually. That's the that's the nature of the beast these days. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I again, I sound like the consummate old man here, but remembering John Elway sucking as a rookie and Troy Aikman struggling as a rookie and Peyton Manning being terrible as a rookie statistically, like these are the narratives that I that I remember growing up with. And obviously those guys didn't Manning set an NFL record for interceptions his rookie year. He threw like 20, maybe it wasn't a record, but it was like a rookie record. It was like 29 or something like that. So he was really bad as a rookie. And I remember this because I was, I was actually living in Indianapolis, finishing college. We were newly married. And so being newly married, no kids in an NFL city. I, I was watching a lot of Colts football and like, their roster was just abysmal. Yeah. They had like a semi-pro roster and Peyton Manning. And, um, you know, and he's kind of like, he's got this huge pedigree and he's kind of trying to play hero ball and trying to do it all himself. And yeah, there was, there was definitely a sense of, wow, this, this could really go either way. Yeah. And I just, you looked, know, the, the, I just looked it up. He, he led the league in attempts as a rookie, not not great. That shouldn't happen. Um, yeah. Only completed fifty six percent of his passes. Yeah. Twenty six touchdowns. It's good. Yep. Twenty eight interceptions. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. I want to. I'm going to look up like who who was on those teams. Although I will um, say, the first five years of his career, he was an interception machine. He was twenty eight, yeah. fifteen, fifteen, twenty three, and nineteen before he kind of settled into the like. Manning, we were more aware of, and then yeah. so he then it was ten, 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 nine, and then he was back up into double digits in the teens, you know, yeah. for the, his last years in Indy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the league was different back then in that you know interceptions weren't sort of the the scarlet letter that they are now. You know, there was a sense of you can you can take some chances. So actually, I take back what I said about his roster. So if there are any 1998 Indianapolis Colts players listening, apologies. Listen to this. Like, just listen to this group of people in a vacuum. Marshall Falk, 
This was right before they traded him to the Rams. Um, Late career, Ironhead Hayward, which is just interesting and fun. Um, Marvin Harrison, Kim Dilger, Marcus Pollard at tight end. That's a good tight end room. Um, they had some interesting pieces. I don't think Harrison team. was good right out of the gates, though, because it it took right. like they had to they had to kind of develop the offensive scheme because he was one of those guys who was like a kick returner gadget guy until they realized, oh, uh, he's also the best route runner in the league. Yeah, exactly. Um, defensively, they struggled defensively. There wasn't <laughs> a lot there. Late career, Jeff Harrod. Um, let's see who else was there defensively to get excited about. Uh, not, not a lot of people. <laughs> um, yeah, the defense, defense was kind of tough, but, uh, yeah, interesting, just interesting how like narrative storylines and the league in general has changed from then yeah. to now in terms of how we talk about rookie quarterbacks and their seasons and, and so forth. Um, my last keeper pipe, um, I kind of felt like I was overpaying for this guy, but I think the ceiling is high if he's healthy. George Kittle at 27 bucks. Um, if he plays like healthy George Kittle, then I have the second best tight end in the league yeah. and I'm always winning that matchup unless I'm playing against the guy who has Kelsey. Um, I think, so that's the gamble. I think if with- I was in your shoes mm-hmm. looking at the guys you didn't keep, I yeah. think I probably, so Kittle at 27 is kind of a potential take your medicine. Cause it's, I don't yeah. think it's going to be, you're not going to get a lot of savings out of that. But also, yeah, yeah, he could be the best tight end in the league. I mean, yeah. The tra- if Travis Kelsey's healthy, he's the best. But yeah, I think I might have kept Keenan Allen at twenty one and not kept Lamar yeah. Jackson at thirty one. Yeah, because I, I think I could have bought Lamar Jackson back at cheaper than yeah. that, and Keenan Allen See, at twenty one. I mean that because then you then you have three starting receivers, two of whom could yeah. be top ten, fifteen guys. You have George Kittle. And so then you're basically just getting a quarter. You need you want one more good quarterback, and then it's your running yeah. backs. Your running back situation okay. is not awesome. Yeah, no, that's that's good. My running back situation is non-existent at the yeah. at the moment. So um, yeah, so here's my logic on that. I kind of used the the inverse of that logic in that my thought on Keenan Allen is that I can always buy him for cheap in the auction because Probably. Keenan Allen is one. He's one of the least fun, least sexy like fantasy guys to have on a roster like nobody absolutely one of my favorites because assuming he's healthy it's like i'm gonna get seven catches and oh yeah a touchdown every other week and if herbert the other thing is stacking him and herbert would be a nice thing because if herbert has a great year it's keenan allen is going to have a great year he's his number one receiver so yeah yeah that no that was that was one that i had trouble like parting with yeah um, because yeah, just looking at my roster and looking at where the value could be, um, that was a great value one. The other one that I thought about keeping pipe and I just couldn't do it because I hated having this guy in fantasy was David Montgomery at 11 bucks. That would have I mean, been a good value though. It would have been a great value starting running back, you know, going to get volume, but I've had him for the last couple of years and I was just like, I can't do it again. Yeah. You know? I'd I'd I would have down kept, I think I would have kept him over Judy in your shoes again, simply yeah. because like that way you have one of those spots filled and it's a guy you can, yeah. you can stomach. Like that's kind of how I yeah. felt about JK Dobbins at 15. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, Dobbins might be lead the league in rushing or he might get yeah. like 800 yards and six touchdowns. 
Yeah. But he's at, at worst, it's a flex guy for me. Same with Mike Davis. Yeah. Like I'm not excited about either of those guys, but I'm like, well, yeah, Dobbins could way outperform this or this could be his value. I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, the with only Judy, the only keeper, no, go ahead. The only keepers of mine that I was excited, Josh Allen at 14, I was happy with in a two quarterback oh, week sure. and CD lamb at 11. I'm really happy with the others. I kind of shrugged yeah. and was like, I mean, AJ Brown at 16 is either an amazing value or he's going to miss two thirds of the year with an injury. I don't know. So yeah, exactly. It's just and dude, the Titans. Yeah, let, let's transition this into like uh, a talk about the preseason. Yes, and we can do a couple minutes on the Titans. Did you watch their game against Atlanta? I was texting you a little bit during. No, no, I didn't. Um, because it's I I can't watch preseason football, especially not the first week or two, because it's like starters don't play. Um, yeah. and I just, I don't care about the Titans first stringers very much. I really don't care about their third stringers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're definitely, we're in this era where, so we're, we're down a preseason game this year. So there's only three preseason games as opposed to four or five in the past. Um, and a lot of teams have just come out and been like, you're not going to see our starting quarterback running back and wide receiver at all in the preseason. Like, I think the chargers were like, we're not playing Justin Herbert in the preseason at all. Yeah. Um, which as a fantasy owner of Justin Herbert, um, I breathe a sigh of relief, but yeah, as someone who traditionally has liked watching preseason football, um, yeah, it's, it, uh, it's, it hits at a disappointing level. So I have one comment to make about the Titans Falcons game from a uniform standpoint. And then I have <laughs> a comment to make from a football standpoint from a uniform standpoint. It was maybe the worst thing that I've that I've looked at in a decade. In as much as it was like they gave a crayon and a blank pad to somebody in 2002 and said draw what the future will look like and they drew those two crappy uniforms and seeing them both on the screen together uh made me sad. Yeah, it has that's, strong that's any given Sunday thing. vibes to the uniforms. That's so true, dude. Yeah, those those goofy, ridiculous, over the top uniforms on any given Sunday. Yeah, that's what it was. That that's what it was akin to watching, um, which made it hard to watch. But also, the football itself made it hard to watch. In that your starting quarterback matchup was like Logan Woodside versus AJ McCarron, and uh, I'm like, oh yeah, we're watching we're watching preseason football here. Make no mistake about yeah. it. I mean, so, but here's the thing, even if they had this, so you have Matt Ryan and you have Ryan Tannehill as their starters, mm -hmm. both of whom statistically always good quarterbacks, mm -hmm. both of whom I, I think are just horrendously boring players. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's both the name Ryan attached to quarterback. I don't know, but like, I don't yeah. want them in fantasy and I'm okay with them as a second yeah. quarterback. I don't want them quarterbacking my team. Yeah, all the advanced metrics say Ryan Tannehill is excellent, and I'm just like mm -hmm. boring, just boring. Yeah. And Matt Ryan is Dude. even more boring. Has there ever been a good Ryan in football, like at the quarterback position? Let's keep it there for a minute. Let's just uh, let's go into the wayback machine. Yeah, let's see. I'm thinking of Ryan Lee, Pat Ryan, who um, Pat Ryan played for the Jets in the '80s, and he was like the kind of the fun backup that everybody liked. But never really put it together as a starter. Yeah. Um, any other Ryans that we're forgetting? Ryan Leaf, obviously. Yeah. yeah there's, like there's, there was another Ryan who was like one of those 
you know, I don't know if he was an Ivy League guy or like a Rutgers guy or whatever, and kind of a yeah. he came in as like a backup and filled in for different guys and was not yeah. good. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fit- Fitzpatrick he's might be Ryan, the best right? Ryan. I mean, ta- I think he's the best Ryan. T- Tannehill he's- could overtake him, but yeah, Fitzpatrick is the funnest Ryan. Yes. Like he's the Ryan that you don't mind watching. Um, yeah, you know what we're going to find out is that his first name is like Earl and he just goes by Ryan. And so <laughs> like, if he was Earl Fitzpatrick, we, it would just make more sense. Yeah, it would, dude. That would totally make more sense. Um, let's do a minute on the Titans on the field. Uh, I, as we've talked about ad nauseum on this program, I want to like the Titans. I want to get excited about the Titans. I'm a huge Taylor Luan guy. The rest of the team, I have I have trouble with it. And I'm a huge Vrabel guy. Like, I like Vrabel a lot. Um, I think the Titans could... They could go back to being like 6-10, and 10, and it wouldn't shock me. Uh, just remember, it's a 17-game season now, so... Yeah, 6-11. and 6-11. and 11. Um, Yeah, well, I think their defense is going to be abysmal. And so... Even, you know, they, they they traded for Julio Jones. They've got A.J. Brown, both of whom are just explosive players. Although Julio Jones kind of fits the Titans perfectly because yeah. statistically and like by all accounts, just one of the – he's probably the best receiver in the league over the last 10 years. Yeah. Also really boring, you know. Yeah. Just kind of a yeah. – and he doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. There's, there's just something about him that's like he he's not Randy Moss. He's not Calvin Johnson, but he's physically like those guys. Um, He's a little Keenan Allen in that yeah. in that regard, you know. And yeah, and I think you know Derrick Henry is probably the most fun running back to watch since what Adrian Peterson's prime in terms of just like yeah running force total throwback. Yeah. But again, like eh, whatever. Yeah, they just mm-hmm. they're still a shrug to me, and I think they're going to give up thirty points a game, which is just going to make it real hard to win consistently. Yeah, they're going to give up thirty, and I don't think that offense is like calibrated to put up 30 every week i mean they're a they're an aj brown soft tissue injury away from like anthony ferkser being like the focal point of the offense and that's that you know from a pass game standpoint obviously derrick henry's the focus. they also lost uh, their offensive coordinator who has kind of turned Tannehill into a, a pro bowler who has yeah. made derrick henry the focal point like we don't really know what their offense is going to be without arthur smith that's true that's true. I want to like it. I'm taking a I'm taking a wait and see on the Titans. I do want to like it. Um, what else did I have on the on the show notes for preseason football pipe? Um, no, I got like five minutes before I have to jump to another call. So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a quick a quick Vikings question and a quick Mariners question, okay. and then we'll we'll close it out. My Vikings question is this: Do you want to see the wheels completely fall off? so that they have to blow it all up and start over? Or do you think there's like uh, anything to be squeezed from this current like iteration of the Vikings? What are your thoughts on that? I think the current iteration of the Vikings is one quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. I think everybody in the building except Kirk Cousins knows that he can't lead them to a Super Bowl, but they're paying him to lead them to a Super Bowl. And so, yes, my hope is, and I'm going to get a little um, controversial here. So he, he caused a ruckus earlier by missing a bunch of practices because he was exposed to COVID and that means he's not vaccinated and I'm not taking a stance Uh on the vaccine, but I kind of hope that he just misses half the season because of exposure to COVID. I hope I'm not, I don't want him to get sick. I don't want anything bad. Just like protocols, all the protocol nonsense. 
And the Vikings get so fed up that they are forced to figure out something to do with him that makes him not on the roster next year. I don't want Uh, to abide another season beyond this one with Kirk Cousins at quarterback because I know what he is. If everything around him is perfect, they are Mm -hmm. uh, a division winning team that can't go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, he can't do it. And, you know, I guess if everything around him is perfect, like, you know, Trent Dilfer led a team to a Super Bowl victory. So that's possible. But like, I just, yeah, I just want to see him go a different direction. And there's so many options these days, like Jimmy Garoppolo or uh, maybe the guy that Kellen Mond might develop. Like, I don't care. Just not him. Right. Yeah. No, I get it. That's what I was. That's what I was fishing for. That was perfect. Um, Last question. The Mariners. Uh, They've gotten fun. They're in the wild card hunt. Um, They're stringing some wins together although not last night, is it for real or are we a year or two away from it being for real? Cause their run differential is not good, but their, their record is pretty good. Oh, it's, um, it's not for real in a, like this team is, is, is built a sustainable thing, but you should yeah. absolutely ride this wave. Cause when this happens, like it's baseball, freaky stuff, it's super happens. fun. The division yeah. is down. The angels, you know, yeah. best player is out. Well, second best player now, cause Otani might've mm-hmm. passed Mike Trout. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just every fluky, freaky win they get with these young guys who are playing out, you know, above, <laughs> kind of above their yeah. pay grade. Dude, yeah. it's so fun. Just, it is. just ride it. And even Kellenic is starting to like not suck now. And, uh, and that's pretty cool too. Um, all right. I know you got to go. You got to hop on another call pipe. This has been fun. Um, we've done what we always do in this program. Uh, which is catching up about sports, talking about sports, doing a little 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 league World Series content. But uh, pipe, when is our fantasy draft again? Real quick, um, it is it is Sunday the twenty second. So next so next a week from next yesterday. Sunday, yeah, next Sunday the twenty second yeah, in the evening. Perfect. I will uh, I will be excited. Yes, yeah, so that that may be the time that I get to hang out with my son again because we we like to be in the same room for the fantasy. Oh yeah, draft. you totally should do that. Either. Either I'll go to the dorm or he'll come here. Oh, go to the uh, dorm and then we can recap that. That would be incredible, dude. Yeah, go going to the dorm, seeing what that's like for sure. Uh, Pipe, thanks for doing this. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.